in Biggin Hill, and moved, without word of explanation, to a village I'd never even heard of in the depths of Lancashire. Thank God, said Jake devoutly, when I relayed the news. At least she can't expect you to keep dropping in at that distance. Which was how the situation rested at the time of the gypsy's call. I shouldn't, of course, have let her in, all my life I'd been surrounded by strong-minded people of definite opinions, and this constant hammering of my own will into submission had, over the years, diminished it to the point where I had the greatest difficulty in coming to even the most basic decision. And when, on that Saturday morning, the woman stood whining on the step, the inevitable basket of heather and clothes pegs over her arm, I was unable to summon up the strength of mind to say firmly, Not today, thank you, and close the door. Instead, weakly, I hesitated, and was lost. Some heather for luck, missy, she repeated, sensing an easy victory. And as I fumbled in my apron pocket for the purse I had just needed to pay the milkman, she added, Cross the gypsy's palm with silver, and she'll tell your fortune. Oh, no, I said hastily, and too late. I don't think... There's a tall, dark stranger coming into your life, she began, in tones designed to wear down token opposition. And a letter from a stranger, too. Cross the gypsy's palm, and she'll give you a full reading. From behind me, Jake's voice said irritably, For God's sake, Sophie, either cross her palm or close that door. The whole flat's getting cold. What shall I do? I asked, laughingly over my shoulder. If you want to hear all that twaddle, give her something. But for Pete's sake, at least bring her into the hall and close the door. The woman and I looked at each other for a moment, each of us equally reluctant to obey his command, myself to issue the invitation, she to accept it. For myself, I saw in that glance a small, bent old woman with a face like a wizened walnut, her jet-black hair scraped back into an uncompromising bun, and her little eyes burning like black coals. She saw what? Surely at that moment nothing untoward, or fear would have overcome greed, and she would never have stepped over the threshold. Perhaps her hesitation was simply the dislike of her kind for a roof over their head, the formalised lifestyle of the despised Gorgio. At any rate, the die was cast. She stepped cautiously into the hallway, and I pressed the door shut against the wind's sudden thrust. I dropped a tenpenny piece into her small, hard palm and held out my own. It's difficult to describe now exactly what happened, because memories of the incident are necessarily confused with what actually followed. But she took my hand, and immediately, on that initial contact, a long, shuddering tremor shook her frail body, and her head jerked up, her eyes raking over my face as though seeing me for the first time. She looked down again at my hand, still resting lightly in hers. And then she dropped it, fear spreading over her face, and backed against the door. No, she said breathlessly. There's nothing there. 
My powers can detect nothing. She turned while I stared at her blankly and fumbled at the handle. But at this point, Jake took command. He stepped forward and firmly caught her arm as she shrank away from him. Oh, no, you don't. You insisted on telling the lady's fortune. You took the silver she gave you. Now we want to hear it. She thrust a dirty old tapestry purse towards him. Take back the money, pretty gentleman. I see nothing. Jake caught hold of my hand and dragged me forward, thrusting it under the woman's eyes. Letter from a stranger, she gabbled frantically. I see a tall dark stranger. Her voice cracked into silence, broken only by her rapid, shallow breathing. I was acutely aware of the strange, musty smell that came from her, a mixture of dust and old clothes and wood smoke and a faint waft of lavender.